Tonight will be Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Somewhere uh, in all the reading that I've done, I, I came across the idea that Socrates was considered wise, not because uh, he knew all the right answers, but because he knew how to ask the right questions. Uh, the right questions can be penetrating, they can be challenging and sometimes unsettling, kind of trouble our thoughts, we turn a, a mirror so that we really look at ourselves and and think about the way that we're living. They can reveal hidden motives and help enable us to face truth that we have not maybe admitted to ourselves in the past. We started this series of lessons thinking about the fact that we're to, to be shining like lights in the universe or uh, that we're supposed to let our light shine. We started with this question, why are we here instead of in heaven? Um... One of, the, one of the things I said on that, in that first lesson, when, when a person comes up out of the baptistry, they're never going to be more saved. They may grow to a fuller understanding of their salvation or to greater maturity, but they're never going to be more saved in that moment than they are in that moment. So why doesn't God just take us to heaven? What we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is that we're here for a very specific reason. We're here to do exactly what, what Jesus said He wants us to do in Matthew 5. He wants us to shine for Him. You, not, not somebody else, but you are the light of the world. I know how we think sometimes. This missionary that comes and we hear about all the amazing things that he's done. Oh, the, the, he's the light of the world. Or, or some person who is so dedicated that they face suffering that for most of us is really hard to even imagine, and yet they, they've been able to hang on to their faith. That person is the light of the world. For those that are leading in a congregation like this, our elders or some of our deacons and somebody that's in ministry, and so those people are the light of the world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. People are supposed to see the light of Christ in the way you live. In fact, he says you're supposed to be like a city set on a hill. You're the light of your life. The light of Christ in your life. It isn't supposed to be something that you can hide. You're not supposed to hide it. He talks about that. He said, you know, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a bushel. You put it on a stand so that it can give light to everyone in the house. I hope that you've been looking for ways to let your light shine. That, that you're thinking seriously about this theme and you're actually changing your behavior, the way you think and the way you live because of the things that we're studying in this series of lessons. Here's, here's what I want you to do this evening. Or here's what I want to do this evening. I want to, it's a follow-up question. It's the same question, maybe asked just a little bit differently. Why has the church been called into existence. 
And I'm not talking about the North MacArthur Church of Christ. I'm not just talking about uh, the, the people who worship here on the corner of MacArthur and Britain. Why, why is the Church of Christ in the world today? Why are sermons preached and classes taught and you know, the songs that we sing, the money that we give, the missionaries that we send, the people that we baptize? Why, why is the church here? Why should we let our light shine as individual members of, of the body of believers? And, and then let's look at the question, one, one more kind of uh, variation of that. What's the purpose of the church? I think in a lot of cases when we talk about the purpose of the church, we, we get preoccupied with what I might describe as perceived purposes or secondary purposes of the church. If we could discuss that, that question, and we had a little back and forth. And you were able to just, you know, kind of first thing that came into your mind when you think about what is the purpose of the church. I'm going to give you a list of things I think some of us might say. I think we would say that the purpose of the church is to present the gospel to the lost. Here we have a message that teaches people how to enter into a relationship with God. Our purpose is to tell people about that or to have an opportunity for regular worship and instruction. I think there are a lot of people that have limited limited the entire purpose of the church to what we do when we meet together in this place. That's why we exist. We come, we study, and we learn, and we sing, and we pray. And that's, in in the mind of some people, that's the purpose of the church, to bring hope to the hurting. I'm, I'm grateful for those who do that. I'm grateful for the ministries in the in the church where where people go into some very difficult situations where people, their lives have been so devastated, so hurt, and we bring hope to people in situations like that. And I think there's some people who would say that's the purpose of the church, to equip the saints for work of ministry. We have a mission statement when you come into this building. It's hard to get into the building without seeing it. And, and obviously part of what we do is the people of God, we are equipping the saints for the works of ministry. And some people would say that's the purpose of the church, to teach the Scriptures with, with the encouragement that ultimately, as we come to know what God wants for us and from us, that we would grow to, to live holy lives that are a reflection of His holiness, to send the gospel around the world through missionary efforts, to reach uh, the young people in the world today, to challenge them to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. I think that there are specific ministries uh, we have a youth and family ministry here at North MacArthur. What, what are we doing? We want to reach young people. Uh, we want them to make a commitment to Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. We want them to do that you know, as early in their lives as possible, as, as soon as they're old enough and mature enough to understand the seriousness of that commitment. We want to reach them. Now, that's part of what we do as a church. Some might say that we're here to pray or to comfort the grieving or to encourage the lonely, to feed the hungry. Uh, to minister to people with with special needs or to provide care uh, for the aging. And I I think the church does all of those things. Maybe to model a standard for authentic righteousness in a world that really doesn't know much about righteous living. Those answers are reasonable. I think the church is engaged in all of those things and should be. I don't think those answers tell us the God-given purpose of the church. Nothing on that list states the foundational purpose for the church's existence. A lot of those things that, that I just talked about 
I think would be more appropriately described as maybe the work of the church. But there's a difference between the work of the church and the purpose of the church. And it's not uncommon to mistake one for the other. The work of the church is not the same. We have to fulfill the work that God has given us to accomplish the purpose that He has in mind. But but one is not the same as the other. What's the purpose of the church? The primary purpose of the church, I think, is most clearly stated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. We had a study of that book and still in some ways are drawing some thoughts uh, in our Sunday morning series from Ephesians. But chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, here you have it. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, uh, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus uh, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're going to see some other passages that go along with that tonight, but listen. The, the idea that God had when he established the church is, is that his name would be glorified. We sang it tonight. In your church, Lord, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified. The the reason the church exists is so that the the praises of God would would be declared and that the world would see the glory of God in the lives of those who are part of His church. My life and, and your life. That the lives of all those who say Jesus Christ is Lord, our lives are, are, to, are to be bringing glory to the God who loved us so much that He gave His Son to die for us. In a theme text that we've been studying in, in each of these lessons, at least it's been our Scripture reading each week, Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, one, of, one of the reasons, and we had a lesson, you know, the last lesson that, that we had, I guess the second lesson is, you know, you don't, you don't do your works to be seen. That's not the purpose. Is you know you don't pray to be seen, you don't give to be seen, you, you don't fast to be seen, you don't preach to be seen by men so that men are so impressed with you. But when you live the way God wants you to live, your good example will be seen. And when people see it, they don't they don't give glory to you. They don't glorify you and say, "What a great Christian." They see beyond you. They see God, and they say, "What a great." God. What an amazing God these people serve. Paul gave the following instructions to the church in Corinth. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, that you're not your own, you were bought with a price? I think we need to explain and make sure people understand the commitment that they're making when they obey the gospel. I think there are a lot of people that that want to be saved, but they still want to belong to themselves. They, they still want to be the one calling the shots in, in, in their own life. Save me, but at a comfortable distance. 
You're not going to manage my life. No, you don't even belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with a price. What are you supposed to do now? Well, listen, it's my body. I can, y'all, listen, you know that what I'm saying has some very practical applications in the way that people think and the way that people behave in our culture today. You do not have the right to tell somebody what to do with their body. It's my body. I can do whatever I want. I've got rights. And and I can make choices. You don't even belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's what you do with your body. You give glory to God. There are reasons that Christians live the way they do. There are certain things that we do that we're motivated to do those things, not because we think we're holier than others or more righteous than others. We live a certain way because we want God to receive glory by the choices that we make. And there's certain things, and I'll kind of circle back to this again later, but somebody said, why don't you join everybody else? Everybody else seems to be doing these things. We don't do certain things. Why? We want God to be glorified. We don't want to do anything that would detract from the glory of a God who who bought us with the blood of His Son. We want our bodies to magnify God, to exalt and glorify God. Folks, don't get your politics and your religion confused here. Don't, Don't you think that, you know, separation, you hear that all the time. You, you, you are purchased by God for God, and you don't get to separate this and say, well, when we're together on Sunday, there's a morality, there's a, you know, there's a doctrine. No, when you live for God Monday, Tuesday, when, you know, the whole week, you belong to Him. The choices you make in your private life reflect on Him. So you've got to be careful. You can't let your mind be swept away with a new morality, which is really no morality at all. It's just an excuse to do the things that that so many people know they shouldn't be doing in the first place. And so many of those things detract from the glory of God. In that same letter, in chapter 10 and verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do. And, And we understand in context that people were disturbed over, over some of the things that, you know, meat sacrifice to idols or just, you know, should we, should we indulge? Should we not indulge? Should we refrain from eating? It doesn't matter. It talks about weak conscience and strong conscience. Ultimately he says, whatever you do, whether you, you know, eat or drink or whatever else you do, do it all. Do it for the glory of God. I think we should spend some time looking at our lives and the actual the practice of our faith. Why do we do so many of the things that we do? And I think what God is saying to us in His Word is He wants us to do those things because it's our intended purpose. We're motivated but by this desire that God would be glorified, what an amazing thought that is. That God would receive glory 
because of the way I live, because of the choices that you make. Peter, in an effort to encourage Christians who were being severely persecuted, this for their loyalty and devotion to Jesus, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he's to glorify God in in this name. It's a, it's a real privilege. And I think many people, very casual and, and almost uh, in a flippant way, wear, wear the name Christian. It's, there are some great blessings, but also very serious responsibilities that you have because you wear the name of Jesus. You, you reflect, if you're a Christian... Your life reflects on the one whose name you wear. People are making an assessment about Christ by the way His people live. We should glorify God when we wear His name. The Bible is is full of statements like the ones we've just read together in these passages. I think in the simplest terms, tell us exactly why the church exists. The church's primary purpose is to glorify God. Our basic reason for existence is to bring maximum glory to God as, as much as we possibly can. It's easy for us to lose our way and to imagine that the church's primary goal is to get bigger and bigger and bigger, to to build state-of-the-art buildings and grow in attendance and develop cutting-edge ministries. And Everybody's talking about, have you heard about that church? Have you heard about all the people that are going to church over there and all all the wonderful, have you seen their building? It's easy to imagine that the purpose of the church is to develop Uh, deeper and more meaningful friendships, and I know that's important, or that the purpose of the church is to have moving and meaningful worship experiences, to to enjoy great sermons. Listen, no aim, just relax, okay? Uh, It was thinking, inform, inspire, equip, and motivate, and I thought maybe I should go write sermons like that. Um, Here's the thing. I I think we can get carried away with ego. We can get carried away with what other people think about you know, how well we're doing within the church. It's, it's so strange that preachers are so, even the people that, that are in front of the church the most sometimes get it twisted, and they think it's about them. They think it's about how well they're doing. Folks, the, the church is here so that people, not that they can be so impressed by you, but that they can walk away in utter, just complete awe That there's a God behind the way you live. And He's responsible for making people who are like you. You know, when you when you preach, and I I get into all kinds of illustrations and examples, but I but I can remember one book I read and and they said, you know, there's two different kinds of sermons. What one people walk away and go, Man, that guy is a great preacher. And they're just carried away with maybe the intellect or uh, you know, how articulate, how eloquent, the, the, you know, the thought in it, or, or they walk away and say, what a great God. 
And I know which one we should be aiming for in all of our ministries, in all that we do. Behind all of it should, should be this basic motive that, that whatever we're doing, that we're doing it because we want people to know how great, that song that we have, how, how great is our God. How great is a God like the God we have come to know? The one who's made himself known to us through creation. He's revealed his mind to us through the word that he's given us. And, and then through the incarnation, he's, he's shown us himself through his son. How great is that God? And the whole world ought to be impressed with him. What does it mean for the church or for uh, the individual Christian to glorify God? It means to magnify, to exalt, to elevate the Lord as we live for him. It, it means that you know we do, we do that by the way that we live, by the way that we talk, by the way we treat other people, by the things that we value, the sacrifices we make, the way we serve other people, the way we spend our money the way we talk about other people. We glorify God by the things we do. We glorify Him by the things we, we don't do. I mentioned a second ago there are certain things because we're Christians that we don't do. When we, when we refrain from certain behaviors, we glorify God by that choice. You're not going to find a better example in the Bible of a person who understood his life purpose in Uh, fulfilled that purpose in his life better than Jesus did. We can can read the gospel accounts and we see him preaching and praying. He's he's teaching and training. He's making sacrifices. He suffers. He's a servant. He's working. He's outside of the tomb of a friend. He's weeping. He's, He's ridiculed by some. He's rejected by by many, ultimately, he's crucified and, and killed. And through all of this, he never loses sight of his purpose. In John chapter 8 and verse 50, he said, I, I don't seek my own glory. Jesus, you're the, you're the greatest moral teacher who has ever lived. I, I'm not doing this for my glory. How is that possible? Someone, someone who is so beloved, he is, he is so adored and, and, and so praised, and he says, no, no, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to aim that. I want you to direct that glory. I want, I want you to shift your attention from me and give that glory to my Father. In John 13, 31, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in Him. Any any praise that Jesus received, He said, look, ultimately what I really want is for my Father to be glorified in my life. He refused to accept uh, any of the glory that rightfully belonged to His Father. And here He is at the close of His life in John 17 and verse 4. And he makes this statement. 
And, and I just want to tell you, at the end of our lives, just imagine if you could say this. If all of us, like Jesus, were able to say, I have glorified you on earth. Sometimes we can't say that. Sometimes because of our selfishness and the sin in our lives, and because we're unwilling to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and surrender and sacrifice, sometimes you know, to suffer or to serve, and because we won't do the things he did. We can't say what he said. But it's remarkable to, to hear him sum up the totality of his life in, in that brief statement. Everything I've said, everything I've thought, and everything I've done is to fulfill that purpose. So that at the end of my life, I can say I have glorified you on earth. And he did. And we need to live like Jesus did so that we can say what he said at the end of our lives. We had some great songs tonight. One of them, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. And we need to examine ourselves. We, we sing these songs and it's good for us to, to sing to one another. To teach and admonish one another. To encourage each other when we sing songs like this. But we also have to go home and as we walk through this next week, we have to examine our thoughts, our words, our attitudes and actions with a relentless focus on this question, is God... Is, is he being glorified? Is he getting the glory he deserves? Part of a great church and, and our elders and, and our staff and our missionaries and the Bible class teachers, you can't, you can't do it like that. You, you can't say, God, I'm part of a church that, that they're glorifying you. You have to bear that responsibility in your own life. I have to bear that responsibility in my life. I have to ask myself, is, is that happening? Is God getting the glory He deserves by the way that I'm living my life? As we think about that tonight, I want, I want you to think about something else as, as we conclude. You can't, you can't do what we're talking about outside of God's family. You can't glorify God without being in His family. I think most of you would understand that, that the things your children do reflect on you and your family, not, not me and my family. The things that my children do, they reflect on me and my family, not, not on you and your family. If your child displays above average intelligence or unusually good manners or, 
or just, just lives a, a good and decent life, that reflects on you and on your family. When your children are involved in disrespectful or harmful or immoral behavior, again, that reflects on you and your family. And I'm not trying to be critical in one way. I'm just saying, I think most of us understand. I thought, you know, growing up that my dad made that pretty clear. When you leave the house, what you do in your life reflects on us. You know, you're, you're a Lewis. You wear our name. The way you live, the way you treat other people, that reflects on us. I think the same thing is true when we wear you know, the family name and, and we tell other people that we're Christians. This is a reflection on our Father. Here, here's the point I'm trying to make. God, God has no children outside of His family. And only the things done by His children reflect His glory. It wouldn't make any sense to try to, to glorify God outside of His church. It's not going to happen. It's not in harmony with God's eternal purpose. We, we said this already. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, To Him be glory, notice, in the church and, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is going to obtain glory. He's going to be glorified by people who are in Christ. He's going to be glorified by people who are in the church. And we know from passages like Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, uh, you know, 21, we're baptized into Christ. But the thing that puts you in Christ is also the thing that puts you in the church. And so in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, we're all baptized by one spirit into the one body. You can't glorify God outside of His family. The way to be in His family is to be baptized into Christ, to be baptized by the one Spirit into the one body. There are two thoughts then as we conclude. One, that's where you ought to be. Nobody should have to coerce you. You should want to be in Christ. You should want to be in the body of Christ. You should want to be in the church. We offer this invitation, and, and it's the most wonderful, most incredible blessing that Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And sometimes you feel like you've got to talk people into that. That's the best offer ever. Everybody should want to come to Christ. Everybody should want to be in Christ and in the church. And it shouldn't be difficult to do what the Bible says. It shouldn't be, you know, a point of contention. Well, I want to come to Jesus, but I don't want to be baptized into Jesus. If you want to come to Jesus, you'll come to Him on His terms. You'll come and you'll submit to Him on His terms. Here's the other thing as, as we finish now. I, I think most of us, many of us anyway, have already made the good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We've already sought to live penitent lives, to turn away from sin, and to live in a way that honors and pleases God. We've been baptized into Christ. For, for many of us, we, we have to keep circling back to the purpose of the church, God's intended purpose for our individual lives. And we, we need to take time. 
to really look at ourselves and to examine ourselves. You know, and this this is random and maybe not that helpful. I hope it'll be a. I've got a lot. Of, I've got a history in my family. A lot of a lot of people in my family have had cancer. And uh, and they've died of cancer. And about once about once a year, I go see a dermatologist. I, I want to know if there's anything that doesn't look quite right. That examination that, that, that you do from a physical perspective, I think people understand that. Why would you go to the doctor and be examined that way? Because I, I don't want to be sick. I want to be healthy. I don't, I don't want to get a terrible disease. If I have it, I want to detect it as soon as I can so I can get treatment. We need to be more serious about self-examination in our spiritual lives. Really taking the time to to think about questions like the one we've proposed tonight. Does does God get maximum glory? Is He getting the glory that He deserves from the way that I'm living? We'll sometimes say, you know, if you are subject to the invitation. Well, we're all subject to the invitation. Every, Every one of us, when we hear God's Word preached should respond in some way and that doesn't mean we always have to respond publicly but but some private decision should be made that we're going to be more serious more committed more devoted more conscientious as we as we live each day because we don't want our lives to detract from the glory of god We want Him to be glorified in our bodies. If you do need to respond publicly tonight, we invite you to do that as we stand and sing.